Hey Simon, you all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to start video. Oh, don't worry. We can turn off the cameras if you want. It might make for better audio. I'm all right with this. You see, I'm talking to a face actually. All right, welcome to my 90s music podcast with me, Mark McSee, where I talk to the people who lived, loved, and were in the eye of the storm of the best decade ever, the glorious 90s. Today, I'm totally jazzed as I had the real pleasure of talking to two of my musical heroes that are half of the Fabric Four, Corduroy. If you don't know much about Corduroy or the Acid Jazz label and scene, then I would check them out as they were a real influence on many of the bands that you will love so much, including Blur, Pulp and Supergrass. I had a great fun interview with Richard who plays bass and Simon who's the guitarist in the band and we chatted about how the band formed, recorded in the albums, touring, riding a helicopter and driving an Aston Martin all around Japan for a TV ad. We also talk about how the band came to a natural end in the 90s, how they're coming back with a bang very soon with a new album, tour dates and a brand new line of merchandise at corduroyshop.bigcartel.com. Well, if I go a wee bit back then, how did you kind of start out playing, you know, before you sort of get into bands and, you know, late 80s, early 90s and all that? Uh, yeah, I, I was just like a bedroom guitarist and uh, I, I'm, I sh- shared a flat with a bedroom bass player and we were, the plan was to start a band and take over the world, but uh, he got more interested in uh, rigging the tote and uh, his dad was a professional gambler and... Uh, he was distracted, and then just, just, uh, I guess I must have been about 25, 26. I, I ran into Scott on a, on a street in, in uh, Lewisham, and uh, he said he'd been offered a Christmas Eve gig, it wasn't New Year's Eve, a Christmas oh. Eve gig, uh, a place in Greenwich called Up, Up the Creek. Uh, we'd all get 50 quid each, which in 1991 was, to me, was a fucking fortune. <laughs> well, I mean, it would it would last me more than a week. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that that was the start of Cordray. I mean, I, I'd been like a bit of a uh, wag club attendee and, and some of the uh, rep presence on the rear groove scene. But, but uh, I d- didn't, uh, I, I wasn't a, great um a great fan of the rock scene that that boys wondering had come from so so it was a it was more of a uh, coming together so that was that was that was me before Cordroy. rich might have a different story well yeah i remember so you was my mate really i used to see you down the pub in greenwich yeah yeah and we'd we'd gone along to see your jazz a few times and that's why when that initial first gig up the creek happened to do a jazz band, you was the obvious choice because you was already in a jazz band. And if you remember, we did two or three of the tunes which was already in your set. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah. that was that was an easy that was an easy step. But as for the rock thing, because remember I had ten years of Docs and the Medics, 
which yeah. was psych and kind of funky, was ideally what it was supposed to be. And then when I was in Boys Wonder, which was basically ripping off the Who and Slade, <laughs> it, it turned in. It, it happened throughout the the um the baggy thing was going on, and we just changed direction to try and make it dancey. So we'd already started trying to make dancey and music. Yeah. So it and Boys Wonder was dead by that time. So when it was possible, when we saw legs basically in Cauldroy, when other people wanted to book us, um, and we recorded those demos, which we took around to a few people, including Acid Jazz. I think Ben and Scott probably still wanted, probably still thought Boys Wonder had some life in it, but I thought it was dead by that point. And we just kind of went full, full ahead for trying to get where we were with Cauldroy. And we just jumped onto the Acid Jazz bandwagon just at the right point in time. So we kind of, we surfed the Acid Jazz wave. You know, we jumped on just as it got moving. But how did you, you know, like if that first gig was Christmas Eve, like how did you manage to get a set together? Only one of you was sort of jazzy, I suppose, in that way. Well, we weren't really playing jazz. Oh, I right. certainly wasn't playing jazz. We were going on, there was a, there was a beat scene in, in London, Soho. There was a beat scene with certain nightclubs, Tung Kung Fu, Smashing, uh, Love Ranch. And we, were, we, we played a lot of these venues. So we were playing clubs. It meant we could get in on the guest list, which helped. Then we, we started to play a few mod gigs because it was hanging around some of the mod scene. And then we got in a, a few jazz gigs as well, probably through Simon. So there were gigs, there weren't big payers. And then when the first album came out, we did a joint tour with Mother Earth and Sandals. So it, it all moved really quickly. Remember the first year we were, we signed, we had two albums out. Yeah. So it was Badman Cat and High Havoc within a year. Yeah. Because it was High Havoc that I really discovered you. And it was, the reason was I worked in Our Price Records, right, on a Saturday. And you are one of the Q magazine picks. It was always a really great little couple of shelves. That I really remember a few times when Q magazine didn't pick us. <laughs> oh, we got a, there's a couple of fucking awful reviews. Oh, in, really? In 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 Q magazine for us, they were good at slagging us off. Oh, <laughs> they were just against the acid jazz scene total. Oh, quite. Yeah. You know, as soon as um. Pretty much as soon as Britpop kicked in, we were no longer the lovies of the press. And what, so going back to Dadman Cat and, and High Havoc, I mean, yep. I guess you, you had to stay quite strong, I suppose, to plough your own furrow and, and be unpigeonholable to all these other bands that were going on. You know, they, it would have been so easy for you to be dragged into Baggy or dragged into these well, other things. We, we, weren't, we weren't really any of the 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 the, the scene bands because we we weren't we weren't really jazzy we weren't really baggy we 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 kind of sort of latched on to a we just like like a, a prickly seed pod that that sort of attached itself to to all all these very, very and and nobody hated us they just all oh, right well that what they're doing there sort of fits in with there we had we had noisy guitars with with, with like breakbeat drums and and like and and the like it was mainly we were going to be piano led. I know there was a, there was a lot of organ that 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 ended up on 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 the on the on the first on, on all of the albums. But the first time Scott touched a Hammond was in the recording sessions for 
for uh, Dad Man Cat. Prior to that, all the organ had come off a, a, a tacky digital synth. Oh. So like we, we weren't we weren't like diehard purists. And I think it was it it, it, it could have been that that, that uh, allowed us to sort of hook in with all these other other streams of uh, cultural music from this place we call England, I guess. But when he was going on in Scotland as well, wasn't it? Oh. Yeah, the thing is, because we, we were all into bands, we looked cool. We, was, we were so into image and the whole kind of look around all the 60s films and everything. We just looked right as well. That helped. Well, I mean, I think that was one of the most standout things. Like, I mean, even the drummer in our wee band that we had, you know, he started wearing like the black Polonex and you know, <laughs> <laughs> shifting a bit slinky and, and, and all the rest of it. But we actually, we, we had a wee sort of covers band that turned into a songwriting band that never really went anywhere. But we always had a band break in the middle of the break. And nine times out of ten, High Havoc went on. <laughs> we'd all just like sort of wig out for like, you know, half an hour and, you know, get our energy up. And we used to just love it, you know. And But what about the, the sort of songwriting process as well? Was it did, it, did all the songs just come from jams or how did all of that work? Well, a lot of the first album came from jams. Uh, I mean, some of it was like Ben and Scott sitting, sitting down to do their songwriting partnership songs. Um, but the first album was like sort of, I don't know, 70% jams and 30% uh, like playing pieces of music. And it, that reduced. Yeah, a lot of the time we, someone would have an idea and we just jam around that idea. That was a lot of Dad Man Cat, uh, less so in High Havoc, but because we had the, the plan for the film, the mythical film, we, we could write the music according to the plot of the mythical film. We came up with titles um, in some cases before we did the music. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, sort of things like, uh, is it Follow That Arab? Is that one of the... Yeah. <laughs> you know, that just, like, made me giggle my head. Like, when you saw it, you were like, what are these songs? Like, what's going on with these guys? You know, but we, you know, we always just had such a, a, a good laugh with that. And when, you know, you were doing your, your styling and the photo shoots and videos as well and, and all that stuff, I mean, was there anyone helping with that? Or was it... No, that was just us. Yeah? Yeah. So we're, we're, is that a helicopter on Out of Control? Yeah, out of here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah sorry, where 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 did you get that? Yeah, there, there was we we weren't allowed to fly it, but we were allowed to sit in it, and it was a it was like some place just outside Guildford, yeah, some yeah. some like small airport. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was quite expensive to hire a helicopter just for photographing, though. Yeah. It looked amazing. We were lucky that it was a fucking glorious day, and and, yeah. and 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 we had the right gear on. Yeah, well, I did go in actual in a real helicopter in Japan, um, <laughs> which no we, one else did. <laughs> we didn't. Yeah, that was that was a. Uh, we we made a TV advert in Tokyo. Oh, did you? What was that for? It was for the record label we were signed hey, to, and we was all given. <laughs> so was it yeah <laughs> they were a department store that also had had like in the department stores they had a venue on the top floor so it, it was called parco 
which like something that didn't happen over here. You didn't have department stores with a, with a gig upstairs. No. Like John Lewis isn't like that, <laughs> you know. And uh, and and we got got fr- flown out there for <laughs> for ten days. Got paid paid a small a small stipend. Well, it was a big stipend. And uh, it, yeah, that was glorious. Yeah, a great laugh. And yeah, so Simon got to drive an Aston Martin. I got to fly in a helicopter, and Ben got to walk out the sea in flippers. <laughs> what about Scott? We got the best deal there. Scott, I, I think Scott had, he was a, no, I was a waiter driving an Aston Martin. He was a, I don't know what Scott was doing. <laughs> yeah, well, I was supposed to be a getaway driver. <laughs> I, know, well, I didn't have a driving license, so you got to drive the car, even though you'd never taken a test. I've never, I've, yeah, I've only had about five driving lessons in my whole life, but I was driving this, this DB5 around this massive car park in Japan, and I told the geezer in the back seat who owned the car, whilst we were doing it, I can't drive, mate, I haven't got a licence. <laughs> <laughs> and he was going, <laughs> Was his English good? When he found, when his, what he said, I don't know because it wasn't English. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got to drive the car. It was fabulous fun. And then, what? So, what about the live side of things? Then, so um, I saw you, you know, many times, sort of up in Glasgow. But I saw you supporting Jamiroquai. Mm-hmm. Oh, the stadium tour, yeah, yeah, uh, and, and, uh, you, and you did a neat trick, which was. You turned London, England into Glasgow, Scotland, and the place went absolutely wild for you when you changed it, changed the legs. Yeah, that's that's a bit of a a, a reliable look back because <laughs> it, it was it was a uh, <laughs> we did it we did the same in Belfast. I <laughs> oh, don't yeah. spoil the magic. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah we, we did tea at the park. First time that happened was tea in the park a few years before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about the the early gigs then, and then? The sort of rise to, to bigger places, you know, like how do you feel about touring? It, it you know, it's a lot of waiting around. Do you sort of enjoy it all the way through? Is there a dip? You know, how, how do you sort of feel well, about when you're doing it, doing the the, uh, the the playing like sort of toilet gigs? They 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 were back to back, so it it was it was a bit of a blur. So you don't get you, you don't get the opportunity to get to get bored. Yeah. So, but when you're doing doing the, uh, the the longer tours, say say the Europe Europe, we did six weeks on a bus, and there was there was like some there was quite a lot of dead time in that. But you're with 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 a with another band, and you're all under thirty. We we and and there was the bus was full of free beers. Yeah, you yeah. know, we it's not it's not the sort of thing that you turn your nose up at. You 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 get a bit used to taking the uh, solpidin in the morning, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> quite easily will you, leave you with a solpidin problem though. <laughs> That's true. And and was there like big, you know, sort of nights that you remember that you know sort of went down in loony band history where you know it was TVs out the hotel room or any sort of madcap things going on when you were out and about. Um. <sighs> We yeah, I don't think we ever did any uh, TVs out the window. We, I mean, we got up to some antics on on the road with, with Mother Earth, but that they were mostly 
alcohol related and and pretend ghosts and things like that i, I remember on one occasion uh somebody piled up all the chairs in a dressing room for for all all these chairs were piled up on top of a sofa in the mother earth dressing room and we convinced them that that it was a poltergeist and matt dayton still still thinks like it was a the spirits <laughs> which was which, which was quite good uh quite good fun yeah but um i, I think there's there, there's no great stories other than like getting lost we got chased through tokyo by schoolgirls. me and rich did but um i was a little bit baffled at that because we weren't hugely successful so it might have been a setup i mean we were quite a hip hip band in tokyo at the time so it, it might have been for real but i thought i thought it was a record company set up myself well i was doing a, a podcast a while ago with douglas from bmx bandits and he was saying you know japanese went absolutely crazy for them and he ended up having a full japanese backing band and it was just him wow and he learned all the songs and it became like a huge thing but did I mean, were you doing sort of UK, Europe, and America, or was it UK and then Japan sort of happened? Uh, we did. We we've never been to the states. I mean, we've got we've had a few domestic releases, and we've got a uh, uh, we've got a few. Uh, I mean, a few f- fans that make like regular contact say, "Why aren't you coming to Jackson, Mississippi?" No. And and and, uh, and we're we're sorry so, sorry and stuff, but. We can't, can't. It's a money thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you you get the you you get the record company money out there in those days, and uh, you, we we would have gone, but there there wasn't a huge amount of interest. I think it was it was they didn't know how to sell, sell this, this. I mean, unless you were the brand new heavies or Jamiroquai. Yeah. I mean, also like because we're large. It, uh, at the time, half the set was instrumental and half half was was with words and that. It it was a tricky one to get um to 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 get over. I mean, the, from a live the live shows, if you sort of see the live show, you get it. Yeah, yeah. You 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 understand, right? Oh, right. They're doing, <laughs> but but it's conveying that 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 live energy in a. Uh, a press release it just comes across as guff yeah yeah and like the sort of stuff that that i'd i'd dismiss if i was a punter well i, I remember mean, one night we went to see you um camden jazz cafe so me and my wife and we luckily enough there was a wee package you could buy and it was a uh, dinner upstairs yeah on a table and then you're on the balcony and we were sort of directly above you but honestly you couldn't have got another fag paper in there like it was rammed that night. I mean, yeah. I think when it would have been, it'd have been mid two thousands, maybe mid two thousands. Me or oh no, maybe later than that. Then we did, did we did a uh, we 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 came back for two gigs in two thousand and seven. Maybe that's yeah. what it was. Uh, I'd need to yeah, I need to check by, but um, I it was it was just fabulous. You know, we had such a good night that night, and then it turned into a club after. 
Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Um, it was <laughs> that was brilliant. I'm I'm done in Brighton. What did you think of that playing playing down? I mean, Brighton's a good place for you, right? But, yes, well, I mean it, it was it was like it was right up our street at the time. I mean, there there was a there was a big a big uh, student community there as well. Yeah. And, and I guess where that's that's where half the reputation for Brighton's tolerance comes from. I don't don't know about what the student situation is now with people on the whole staying at like they tend to stay at their uh, st- stay go to a, a university near their home because because yeah. of the costs involved. Yeah. So I mean it's the I mean it's a very different terrain nowadays so after uh, high havoc in that uh, well in fact we should talk to Richard a bit what, what was your view on all the touring sort of through the 90s well and first of all because we, we had agents booking the gigs and we were just doing tour after tour yeah um and we was in japan a lot we didn't really stop and we didn't really think twice about that we had the energy to do it um when it got to bigger venues we had to be more considered and that's when we had more production going on. We had the white screens with go-go girls dancing behind us and um, string sections and horn sections and tabla players and things. Yeah. Um, Did you have that at the SECC on the Jamaicoi support? We had Donald with us, Donald Gam. Uh, yeah, percussion player. Yeah. It yeah. was all good. It, was, um, it, was a, it wasn't too long. It, it was, what, eight years, was it, Simon? And when it kind of ended? Yeah. We were we'd had enough when it had ended. We weren't going anywhere in any kind of any good direction. So we didn't had enough of each other as well. I think. Yeah, we didn't kind of break the largest gigs we did were doing like the town and country and the Shepherd's Bush Empires, and Ooh. we got to play the main stage of Reading, which was quite surreal. So have a oh, yeah. us play the main stage at Reading was bizarre, to be honest. Um, and how was that like? Playing red, and I mean, did the crowd? Just it was good. <laughs> yeah, we got away with it. Yeah, no pints of piss or anything like that. Oh no, that, they, no, they, it was really it was good. It was good. It was a great day as well. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, we we came on after Skunk and Nancy. Oh wow! Yeah, so so it it had been a the running order had been set before anybody looked at the album sales. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and apparently this year coming or next year, they're they're doing two main stages at Reading. I don't and Leeds, so I don't quite know how that's going to work. But yeah, I bet we won't be on either of them. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> well, it could happen, but unlikely. And then so and then after uh, High Havoc, you squeezed in a couple of singles as well. So Mini and and Motorhead. So what happened with those? Because I mean, they were they were brilliant. Motorhead, especially, just always raises a smile. It's brilliant. But what made you sort of go after those two? Well, I think I think with a Motorhead, it was it was um, it started with with uh, Lemmy giving Rich a bass lesson once. All right, and uh, and uh, f- from there, yeah, he, he had the the uh, the part down and we just used to used to jam it in sound check. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we never got to rehearsals, but uh, in sound check, somebody noticed it, so you released that as a single, and uh, and the rest is history. It was such a good cover as well. You know, the artwork was 
you know, with a sort of muscle car on the front. Yeah, that's that's ben, ben did that painting. Yeah, oh, right. And there was we went we did a show in a uh, summer in Germany, and uh, we arrived there, and somebody had 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 copied that um, and hand painted it on the whole of the back wall of this venue. Wow. So it it was just wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And yeah. many, I mean, many was more of a vocal led song than usual. So I mean, was that like an attempt to try well, some that new? Came, came, that came out of Ben and Scott's one of Ben and Scott's writing sessions. So right. it was, it was, it was a, it was they brought it to the band as a complete thing. And they they knew it was going to be a single, yeah. Like the the and and looking at it, the lyrics are, are, are sophisticated, and, and there's chordal developments that that are sophisticated, but not like too exotic. Yeah, um, it's it's got all of the right components for for a for a for a single. I mean, we uh, we were unlucky in that we didn't get a huge amount of uh, press from it. We got enough, but um, it it could have it could have done better. It was the only thing of ours that ever got Radio One playlisted. Yeah, no, I remember it being played, and again, I think I was still working on Earth Price at the time, and I I, I got both the singles. But um, no, I thought Money was great. I thought it was really good. And then, what about working with Acid Jazz in terms of? The record label relationship and things like that was that all you know a really good place to be but you know with the pretty it, it was it was a good place to be before before it got um too intimate ben, ben's partner at the time ended up working at the label and uh i mean that was that was and, and also bet we, we had ideas about um how how to promote us and they didn't didn't concur with 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 what aj were uh, had it had in their plans and it, it was it eventually became a, a bit fractious and uh, i mean rich rich has smoothed over that relationship and now works with dean and ed um weekly yeah well, i was head of a for 15 years as a jazz so i couldn't could not <laughs> we get asked this question a lot you know if um we'd have been bigger if we'd have been on the major label at the start instead of acid jazz but i don't think we'd have got past the second album um yeah there's a lot of I don't think they'd even let us out let's let us out the starting gates on on a major label with the, with the first album wouldn't have, wouldn't have got got past anyone yeah and there was a, a lot of plagiarism going on we'd have spent all the time in court what is there a lot? What a lot of people plagiarise you in terms of your music and things. We can hear <laughs> ourselves. We know when someone's been listening to calls. Yeah, well, I'm glad. I'm glad our band never got very big because there's definitely some some nicked passages from that as well. I thought. And what what about um, you know looking at the bands that did go big in the sort of jazz side? So the Jamiroquais, the brand new heavies, etc. I mean. Would you have wanted to have went that way? You know, if it did all go great, is that something you would have wanted, or were you quite glad? You know, just sort of staying. You know, under- I'd much rather have earned a lot of money in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but you know, but then everything that comes with it, 
you know, like not being able to pop down the shops or... Uh, it, it does freak me out, though. I've, I've only get got recognised once, and that was in Marks and Spencers, and I really didn't like it. I, yeah. I wasn't expecting it, and uh, I just... It was like, like some... I felt like somebody had, like, tried to start a fight with me. Yeah. <laughs> is, like, maybe it wouldn't have gone down too well, but, you know... <laughs> You'd now be in prison. <laughs> yeah, that might have happened anyway, though. <laughs> and what about this uh, most enjoyable song? So looking back at all of the albums, you know, through the 90s, have you got ones that you're still completely in love with or are you a bit over them or, you know, have you got your favourites? I, I, I don't know that I have my favourite, but when, when you're actually playing, yeah, and you look up at everybody... And they're all uh, look at the up at the rest of the band, and they're into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it it might be an old one. It's usually E type. Everybody still enjoys. Yeah. Um, and uh, other than that, for me, it's it's the stuff of Return of the Fabric Four, which which like is the freshest in my in my mind. There's there's we got because we got like six albums worth. To, to cherry pick from, there's there's no shortage of uh, of of um, potential tunes, but I mean the audience still loves the E type, and, and so 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 does all the band. What about you, Rich? I, I don't have a most favourite album. I have a least favourite album. I've, I've never really liked Out of Here because it, I think it's the least representative of Cordial because yeah. it was more a Ben and Scott album rather than the Cordial album. And possibly that was the uh, the beginning of the end of Cordula, was that album. Yeah, um, absolutely. The Return of the Fabric 4, I think, is the best thing we've done as a band because we, it, out, um, Bad Man Cat, there's lots of like four-minute noodly tunes. We've lost all the noodly now. Um, I think if, if we'd have done Bad Man Cat as the Return of the Fabric 4 arrangements, it would have been... You know, we'd have been much bigger because it's pop music. Um, I like High Havoc. I was really proud of High Havoc when it came out. And Dad Man Cat really is the, probably the best thing we've done because without having that, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have existed. I think like the one that always gets me is very yeah, and like I can't believe the baseline in that. Like I still can't believe how good it is and how clunky it is. And having seen you done it live, you're thinking. He's going to fuck it up. He's going to fuck it up. Oh, no, he hasn't. He's done it brilliantly. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're just thinking, how, how are you managing that? You know, but I always, I always think that is just a real pleaser, that one, when you put You're talking about Very Yeah, sorry. That Very yeah, yeah, yeah is is it's basically just the High Havoc baseline played on a different groove. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, it's so it kind of top and tails the album. Ah, yeah, but no, oh, there's more bass drums. It's, it's slower, so there's more uh, kick drums going on. So I could put in more notes, but it's pretty much same the same part. Oh, I've never known that. That's that's bro- you know that that's always the one that stands. I'm not a bass player; I'm a guitarist, but mm. yeah, that's always the one you think. There's a lot in that, you know. It's not just plodding along; it's a cracker. And also, I think the other thing was you were really uh, innovative in terms of merchandise. And things like that as well. You know, back in the day, you know, I remember one of my first holidays when I was 16 or 17, having the Dadman Cat t-shirt and wearing it proudly in the Coast of Hill or whatever. But, um, you know, a lot of bands followed that. So 
I mean, what gave you the idea to do that stuff and, you know, who was designing it and all that kind of thing? We're a cartooning band. <laughs> all bands have done merch. We, just that we were, because um, we we're all arty, all creatives, we just, you know, wanted to do more. <laughs> yeah. And lately you've been having a bit of a resurgence on it. Have you got the face masks with the High Havoc explosion sorted out yet or anything like that? That would be a good idea. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> The ones we've got... Simon's now in charge of merch. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The one, we've got face masks, if you want to uh, have a look in the Corduroy boutique. Well, them actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I saw... Um, it, yeah, it, was so, quite, it was quite funny, though. There was... Uh, I saw someone uh, doing a Stone Roses one. And obviously, with the paint, paint splatter, it looks like a plasterer's radio. <laughs> You're kind of like... Well, have you been up to? <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't think that's the best design for a face mask. Sort of white paint splashes. <laughs> I, I, yeah, but it might be a bit niche to get guess it. Even the people people who bought the album yeah, might, might not even pick up on that. <laughs> the, the, the ones we've got just say corduroy in massive letters, and they look like great pair of ashes. <laughs> uh, I need to check those out. I, I, I was I was sure you had some of that stuff going on, and then. I'll need to let you go in a wee sec as well, but um, just when, you know, things were sort of moving on, you know, out of here, the new you click, and obviously Britpop happening, et cetera, and, you know, the band sort of winding down at that point, what was sort of happening then was, you know, we just seen what was happening in Britpop and, you know, less bookings were coming your way or, you know, what Well, happening? no, we, we did an album with Rob Playford, who was Goldie producer. Yeah, and uh, and they, this was on the back of us do, doing a solid six, seven months of recording demos um, in New Cross, and and it w- was literally five five days days a week, ten hours a day mm-hmm. for those six or seven months. Then we went straight into the studio with, with Rob Playford, and we were doing uh, ten hours a day, six days a week, some some weeks, and, and that went on for six months, and that. That that sort of intensity uh, of concentration, we were just, I was just exhausted at the end of it. I mean, I, I look back at it now and think, how did, how did we all let it go so, so quickly, so easily? But we were fucking exhausted. At the end of the tour to promote the, 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 the Click album, it, which we'd done with a bit of playback, yeah. But uh, I think the play black just destroyed the vibe in in, in the uh, in, in the venues, and uh, you didn't feel as good afterwards. So you'd done all this work, and you weren't feeling good. And then uh, Big Cat, who we were signed to at the time, got dropped by Virgin, and uh, it, it just didn't seem as though there would be an awful lot of legs in it. Mm. I mean, I, with hindsight, I'm I'm quite happy to prepare to say say I think that was a mistake, but at the time there was there wasn't anything to 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 make us want to want to stay together, yeah. and uh, yeah, and, and the, the relationships in the band had deteriorated through through that that amount of. Of work and, and also that amount of fucking smoking dope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's great. It's great. It's great 
when, when you're young to, to have a spliff and a play. Yeah, yeah. But when you when you when you're working that hard, and 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 there's spliff involved, it, it's it's just it's not conducive. I mean, it I mean, it's not. It wasn't the deciding factor by any means, but there there was a lot of things that that we would all prefer had been different. What about you, Richard? Um, well, the the click coincided with the drum and bass boom. The uh, the Britpop era, a few years before, mm. we overlapped over because we supported Blur, the Alexandra Palace with Pulp and Supergrass because Blur were a fan. So we, some people tried to tag us into the Britpop thing. And when we made the new You, we was conscious of that. Um, but we, because we were still playing songs from the first two albums, um, we never really fitted in as much as we, you know, some of, some of us wanted. I, I mean, I really liked the Britpop stuff. Yeah. Um, but we, we was never accepted into that crowd, even though, you know, I went to the, went to um, Blow Up and, and the like. And um, I was into New Wave of New Wave before Britpop. I used to like Kinky Machine and These Animal Men. And I love pretty much every single <laughs> Britpop band. I, I still do. Yeah. But, um, it killed off a lot of the momentum that Acid Jazz had. We parted with acid jazz. Yeah, we were we were kind of just thinking we need to try and jump onto something else because acid jazz is dead, and that was possibly a mistake as well. Well, just uh, that's amazing seeing these animal men and Kinky Machine. Those were uh, sort of perpetual yeah. support bands that you used to see. Um, the Kinky Machine fella was really disliked at Glasgow Barrowlands. I don't know if every time every time he came on, you know, he was like some kind of Star Wars baddie or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Um, and what about like you know playing with Blood at Alexandra Palace and all that? I mean, how how was that? I mean, was that a bit of a buzz or you know was it all right or you know what? what oh, it was amazing. Like it was it was like the, uh, at that point it was the biggest crowd we'd ever been in front of. And uh, and also like the youngest, because by this this point, like we're all in our thirties, and you're looking down at eighteen year olds. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we were the same ages as as like as Jarvis, but uh, not not the same age as the rest of the Britpop scene. Yeah, I think yeah. I think uh, Blur about average about five years younger than us, and. Uh, Oasis are similar, perhaps even more younger than us. So it was it like if we were clearly older, and, and we looked a bit a bit more uh, refined, which wasn't a, a big thing in the uh, Britpop time. <laughs> so, how would you sort of sum up your nineties experience then? You know, when you look back on it, you know, is it fond memories or? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah I mean, it's it, it was it, it was it was great when we, because because overall, it it was it was successful, and we uh, kept our heads above water. Yeah. And now we're uh, back to ploughing a similar furrow. But uh, if it wasn't for COVID crisis, we'd have finished the seventh album, yeah. and we'd be we it would probably be uh I think the original plan was for a July release. I don't don't know if we'd have made that, but um, we would have come close. So the chances are we'd be touring right now. And what label was that with? It's with Acid Jazz. So oh great. 
Yeah, it's uh, when it's finished, it will be out on SHS. Excellent. That's really exciting. Is there anything else we can promote for you? or Please send people in direction of our Big Cartel shop, corduroyshop.bigcartel.com. Um, we've got a a, uh, a small range of uh, merch. There'll, there'll be more to come, but we're not, it's not a great focus of ours because you can't really sell an awful lot when you're not touring. Yeah, I'd quite like to promote Winky Wagon, which is on Well Suspect Records, because I need to sell more of those. Okay. <laughs> so we can do that for sure. And I'll put if, it I can get, if I can sell more Winky Wagon, I can do more Winky Wagon too. Okay. <laughs> I'll, uh, but yeah, we'll put all that in the notes for, for people to find as well. We'll push that out. So just some quick fire questions, and then I'll let you get on with your lives. So um, best song of the 90s? Um, I think... Um, the Verve, Bittersweet Symphony. Yeah, it just got the most played, I think, uh, 90s song on Radio X. Uh, like, you know, from PPL, they pulled together all the... It, it was the most played song in the 90s, apparently. I, I mean, it was an amazing record. Of an indie elk, yeah. Oh, I... I oh, God, I don't know. What what, what do I... Yeah. Oh, God, blimey. I've got a uh, an Archie Shep album from 1990 called Mama Rose. That's my favourite. Okay, good, good. So that's album? Yeah. The album, you got a best song? Yeah, Mama Rose from the Mama Rose album, 1990. Okay, um, so best album of the 90s? Are you going for Archie Shep again? Yeah, I will do. <laughs> Richard? i probably go for... Um, Fuzzy Logic by Super Furry Animals. Good one. Good one. Um, best band of the 90s, apart from your good selves? Ooh. I went through phases of best band each year. That's the trouble. I, uh, <laughs> I can still listen to Blur. I can still listen to the Super Furry Animals. I can still listen to Verve. I'm not sure I could pick a best one. That's right. Um, it's funny, like in, in, in doing these, I've had a lot of Beck, a lot of people going for Beck. Interesting. Yeah, actually, thanks for the prompt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that the uh, I think Odelay is a great album. We we still listen to that. I mean, I was very fond of the Ben Folds Five. Brilliant. Two albums. That, that, well, the two that I've got, uh, and I mean that went with me as well I mean this still gets listened to my yeah. favourite band only had two singles out they were called Jocasta okay. do you remember them no Jocasta their, their big single was called Change Me they split up after two singles and became a band called Coda um, they were amazing but it was around the time it was late Britpop and it was when bands only just released a couple of singles and they got dropped ah let me check that out Jocasta. Nice. Uh, best gig venue? Glasgow Volcano. Yes. I don't know if it really is the best, but I do remember it being an outstanding place and an outstanding vibe, and none of us and, and none of us had experienced anything like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it was quite quite a neat little little uh, stage wasn't it and it and and people could sort of sit around the whole stage like the shakespearean theater yeah 
it was i remember us having a real blast there and it, it was kind of done up like a 60s gaff as well oh, i don't know what it is now but yeah Probably flats. Yeah, probably. probably. <laughs> well, last couple of things were um, best gig you went to as a punter in the 90s? Charles Erland at the Jazz Cafe. Nice. Good one. And then the best gig that you played? Um, I had an absolute blast doing Alexandra Paris. Yeah. And and the Jazz Cafe gigs, because I'm in Belsize Park. I can walk to them all. <laughs> I mean, do we did did a week's a weeks over Christmas at the jazz cafe in the nineties, yeah. and I walked down there and and back every night, and it it was it's like it was like a dream job for a bit. Doesn't get better than that. Nah. Right. Oh well, I'll love you and leave you. I like the Phoenix Fest. Oh, did you come in? The so, Phoenix was great. What Phoenix Festival? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And what about your best gig venue, Richard? Um, Hundred Club. Oh, good one. So my favourite band of the nineties, my favourite gig of the nineties was when the Super Furry Animals played Shepherd's Bush Empire with a quad- quadraphonic PA. Were they all dressed up? Um, no, I saw them actually at the Roundhouse a couple of years ago, and they dressed up. They just looked normal. This was before they used to dress up silly. Right, right. Great. Okay, well, listen, I'll love you and leave you. Thanks so much for your time today. And uh, sorry about technical difficulties, but um, it was great to speak to you and just to say thanks as well for all the great music that you've brought me and other people listening as well. So just it's really appreciated. And great. Yeah, you, you live long in lots of people's record collections and in their houses and in their hearts. So great. Thank stuff. you very much. Thank all you very right. much, mate. Well, take care. Thanks for having us. Hopefully see you in a venue very soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much to Simon and Richard for taking the time to talk to me. I wish you well for the new album, finishing those tunes that you started during lockdown, and of course, hopefully, seeing you live in a venue really, really soon. Corduroy will have a new album out on Acid Jazz, so keep your ears peeled and your eyes peeled on at... Corduroy Fabric 4 on Twitter and at Corduroy Band on Instagram. Don't forget to get your Corduroy merchandise, your face masks, t-shirts and all that kind of thing at corduroyshop.bigcartel.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope that it's filled you with as much joy, nostalgia and happiness that it did for me. Please do share this podcast with your 90s obsessed pals and follow me on at my 90s music podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at my 90s music pod on Twitter. Until next time, keep it 90s over and out.